Welcome to the Tin Lounge. You've stumbled on one of our short episodes called The Mini Bar, where we discuss current events in the travel industry. I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fan with Intention. And I'm Corrine, creator of Travel Biz Boss and co-owner of Journey's Travel Company. We can't discuss all of the headlines, so stay with us until the end for excess baggage. We got some shorties but goodies for y'all today. So That's right. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode is brought to you by Toby AI and Voyager websites. Visit voyagersocial.ai to take Toby for a walk. First on our list is from Travel Market Report, and it is Travel Mythbusters, Seven Misperceptions About Expedition Cruising and How to Overcome Them. And I will tell you, Kareen, one of my favorite things, Mythbusters. I want to know <laughs> what I'm doing wrong, what I'm... <laughs> learning incorrectly and I want to know why and I want you to correct me. I know that sounds weird. People don't want to be wrong, but oh my gosh, it's juicy to me. Oh, I agree. Because you don't know what you don't know. So once you find out, then you can be smarter than everyone. So, And this article actually highlights one of our buddies, Chip Barker, who is a fellow platinum agent with TPI. And he has built a lot of his business around doing groups on either luxury or expedition cruises. So happy to see him out there sharing his knowledge. And we joked that uh, maybe this trip that he took uh, on this expedition cruise to Antarctica, we would see him wearing pants and closed-toed shoes because his uniform is shorts and flip-flops. So (laughs) I haven't seen even on the most luxurious cruises. Yes, (laughs) I haven't seen photo evidence, but I think it did happen. He did wear pants. So. Yeah. Let's go right in with myth number one. You have to be super fit to go on an expedition. So this article says perhaps the biggest misperception to dismantle is that travelers must be very fit to go on an expedition cruise. Barker explains, it's the same myth I personally had to overcome, that I would have to be like the TV adventurer Bear Grylls to get off the ship, (laughs) someone who was ready to rappel down a cliff and put myself in perilous situations to experience the destination. It wasn't until I took my first expedition cruise, thinking I'd stay back while others went exploring, that I found out what it was really like. He says that the guides and expedition team do such a wonderful job detailing each activity, what you'll be doing, and how you're going to accomplish it. They take time to talk one-on-one with every guest to determine which activity is going to suit their needs best, whether it's based on physical abilities or any preconceived apprehensions they might have. So he went from thinking that he'd try an activity or two every couple of days and just stay on the ship most of the time. But he said those plans went out the window once he got there. He didn't want to miss a single opportunity to go out with the guides. I those think I guides are so, like, they know so much. If you are at all interested in learning about where you're going, they're amazing. I love it. I'm always riveted. Like, tell me all, of, tell me every detail <laughs> about that bird. <laughs> <laughs> Um, myth number two is that expedition cruises are only for younger people. Well, absolutely not, especially when you consider the price sometimes, <laughs> but, um, mostly they attract affluent Gen X and baby boomers. And many of these guests may actually be new to cruising. So expedition cruises often do attract people who would not call themselves cruisers. Um, 
Debbie Devine, who is a lane and cruise specialist with Cruise Planner, said some segments segments of the expedition cruise industry are great at accommodating multi-generational groups. So I think there's potential for growth in this market. I believe this is also a great opportunity for solo travelers to explore the world in this way because these ships these small ships generally have both engaging crew and other well-traveled guests to interact with in a safe environment. I was talking to Kelly Predmeski, our BDM for Swan Hellenic last week, and Swan Hellenic is an expedition cruise line, and I think they sponsored this article. Um, and she was one thing she mentioned is that for people who do a lot of FIT itineraries, their clients would also enjoy expedition cruises because yeah. it's not your typical cruising experience. And if they want things that are immersive and active and full of adventure, this could be something to present to them. And she definitely spoke to one of my pain points. She looked me right in the eyes as she was saying this. She said, um, this way you won't be bogged down by all the components. A very easy trip for you to send your clients yeah. on. And I would even go so far as to say, like, your people who are hardcore cruisers who want midnight buffets and laying by the pool and feeling hot, 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 like that kind of a vibe, this may actually not be for them. So you would really want to, if you have a frequent cruiser who wants to look into expedition, you definitely have to kind of set their expectation for the differences between, Mm -hmm. you know, the Carnival Mardi Gras and the SH Diana, you know? Right. (laughs) Myth number three, there's not much to do on board. Another misperception is that expedition cruises are sedentary and there is not much to do on board when the truth is that most offer wonderfully active days and fascinating educational opportunities with experts on board, leading lectures and discussions that allow clients to be immersed in the locations they are visiting. Um, It writes here in this article, our team has traveled with many of the small ship operators we work with. We know the ships, we understand the day-to-day operations on board, and we are familiar with the expedition style of each of these operators, which really helps us speak to the benefits and experience of each trip. So one thing they said to do is just set the expectations for your clients. You know, you might not have the conga line happening or late night DJ party by the pool, but you have other activities that are not out of the ordinary per se, but that fits in well with the expedition cruise experience and really allows you to learn more about what you're seeing. Yep. Myth number four, accommodations are sparse. And I can tell you after being on the scenic eclipse, this is false. That is probably the most luxurious uh, accommodations I have traveled in on a cruise ship. Um, and I, I think there probably are some much lower key expedition ships that are not terribly fancy, but most of them are leaning more toward luxury than, than sparse. Some imagine expedition vessels to be austere environments offering the bare minimum in accommodations and food while focusing entirely on the exploration aspect, but this couldn't be farther from the truth. Today's expedition ships combine the latest adventure equipment such as sea kayaks and zodiacs also helicopters and submarines, and polar ice class technology along with stylish interiors. They're more like high-end boutique hotels offering contemporary sophistication. Observation lounges and lecture halls are also appealing spots to mix and mingle with fellow explorers and talk about the adventures of the day. These ships can also feature pools, hot tubs, wellness centers, and a spa. Myth number five, 
I'll bet they serve MRE survival type food. And to be honest, yes. like, I feel like I thought that too about expedition cruises. <laughs> I mean, I think in MREs, they, uh, they have Lorna Dune shortbread biscuits in there. So I would be fine with that. But anything else, I don't think I'd be a fan. But thankfully, this is a myth. Decades ago, this, this article writes, decades ago, this may have been true about expeditions, but it is no longer the case. Quite the opposite. Today's expedition cruise operators know that their guests expect to enjoy international gourmet food while on board, and they deliver. The cuisine on certain lines is inspired by rising star chefs, some with Michelin stars, which foodies thoroughly enjoy. Many menus feature local cuisine, as well as a variety of choices for special dietary requirements. The experience is not just about the cruising, but about all the different elements coming together in a sojourn of luxury and adventure. Myth number six, it's pretentious for academics and the ultra wealthy. While some may think this type of specialty cruising might be pretentious for academics and the ultra wealthy, they are mistaken. Understated elegance, casual comfort on board, what feels like your own private yacht is the best way to describe today's expedition cruising. These ships try to bridge the gap. So, I mean, it isn't a bunch of people who are like bare grills traveling. It's normal people who want to do something a little bit more exciting and adventurous, but they want to do it comfortably. And um, in my experience, you meet all different kinds of people, maybe not a bunch of 25-year-olds unless they're there with their parents, which definitely does happen. But there is a wide variety of different types of people on board these types of, I mean, they're super cool. These are bucket list things, like lots of different types of people want to experience these types of itineraries. So there are no like old men in house slippers with pipes on a big armchair. On these <laughs> and a smoking cruises. jacket. And a smoking jacket. Yeah. That's what I, with a huge mustache <laughs> and a monocle. That's, uh, that was definitely a myth. <laughs> no. And the last myth, I don't like cruising on a big ship, so I won't like this either. Well, the myth buster for this is some travelers think that all cruising is big ship cruising. With expedition ships, this is not so. Uh, Jenna Fedeshine, sales manager of Adventure Life, uh, she says, we work with so many travelers who have an adverse reaction to the recommendation of a cruise imagining the mega ships that feel like small cities. Many expedition style vessels are under 200 passengers and the experience is really quite intimate. These smaller ships are able to navigate into areas the larger ships simply cannot access. Getting on and off a ship is a breeze and instead of casinos and kids clubs to fill free time, expect destination inspired lectures and citizen science. Yeah, we talked about that earlier and I think the size of the ship really does matter. Some of them are up more like 500, but that 200 mark, I guess, is really Mm -hmm. what makes a big difference. If you can get under 200, that's going to probably be the best experience. I know that's why I love river cruising. You get to know people. You see the same people all the time. There's a lot of square footage per person. You know, the crew to guest ratio is really good. So... Like we said before, this type of cruise could actually be more suitable for non-cruisers than hardcore cruisers. And at least in Antarctica, I mean, there are only so many ways to get to Antarctica. The 
under 200 number allows that cruise ship to actually land in Antarctica versus some of the larger cruise ships that go into, you know, the Antarctic, um, they're only able to sail by, they can't make any landings. So that definitely makes a difference too, if that is something that's important to your clients. This is something important that you need to be paying attention to because the desire for expedition cruising is absolutely exploding. Um, So you want to stay up on this if you are a person who wants to sell this type of travel or does sell a lot of cruises. So people are going to automatically come to you. This is definitely an up and coming. Well, it's been happening all along, right? But right now it's got, it's having a moment, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. And I feel like um, a good conversation to have with your uh, BDM for any of your expedition cruises is to find out what their suggestion is on how to start a conversation about expedition cruising to your clients. Because, you know, I have a desire to present this as an option to clients, but it is such a different product from what I'm used to working with that I'm definitely going to be utilizing my BDMs to figure out a way to speak to my market about this. Um, Chip Barker, he offers one way for a travel advisor to start a conversation with a client about giving expedition cruising a try. He says, I know it sounds really simple, but have you ever thought about taking an expedition cruise? Bust the doors wide open. (laughs) It's a yes or no question, and they usually either go into great detail about what they've heard about it so far, or they say, no, not really, and that's still a great opening to teach them a little bit and get them intrigued. Another advisor suggests many of our prospective cruise clients have already traveled with us on hiking trips, safaris, and cultural journeys, but have not experienced a small ship expedition cruise. Clients will contact our cruises team because they're interested in a specific destination, but not necessarily a cruise. And travel by boat is one of their only options. So because of this, this advisor will start the conversation about expedition cruising and setting the expectation for what it's like to sail on one of these ships. I think a lot of people have no clue that this type of thing even exists. Mm -hmm. So just talking about it in general on your social media and your newsletter, during conversations with your clients, like some people will be like, whoa, you can do that. Right. And I'm sure that they will have at least one of these myths in their mind in terms of perceptions about expedition cruising. And this article will give you the answers for how to bust these myths. Absolutely. Our second article today is from Travel Age West. And it is it asks the question, do shoulder seasons still exist? Advisors say sort of. So we should probably all be familiar with what shoulder season is, which is generally defined as a stretch of time between a destination's high and low tourism seasons. Usually that's fall, late winter, and early spring, since the summer months and winter holidays bring traditional school and work breaks and therefore increase travel numbers or peak season. The benefits of travel or of shoulder season have historically been lower prices driven down by lower demand and thinner crowds, even at popular museums and sites. But with travel sales through the roof, recent Virtuoso data shows a 36% increase in sales the first half of this year compared to 2022 and a 69% increase over 2019. Do shoulder seasons look different and does shoulder season travel still lead to savings? Here is what travel advisors are seeing. 
Um, I will say there is no shoulder season anymore based on what I'm seeing, but <laughs> I'm not the only advisor out there. Yeah, I keep shooting for that and I'm like, ooh, at least not with airfares. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I feel like I tell them, um, you know, typically this is shoulder season and they will think that I said it is shoulder season. So they'll be like, why is, why are things still so expensive in Italy in October? And I'm like, because things are not the way it used to be. And it's a typical thing, but this year and who knows about next year, it's not always going to fall into line. Supply and demand. Period. End of story. Exactly. (laughs) Um, This article says shoulder season still exists, but it's diminished Um, Ashley Taylor with Key to the World Travel says the booking landscape has changed in an obvious way post-pandemic. Clients are far more willing to book a trip any time of the year and oftentimes no matter the cost or no matter the school days missed. They want to see the world and they don't really want to wait for the perfect time. So people are thinking life is too short. You know, we just got to go when we can go. So, for example, October may have been off limits for families pre-pandemic, but nowadays clients might pull their kids out of school for a few days or even a full week in order to travel. Taylor says some school districts, including her own, offer some version of independent study or educational days, meaning students can make up their work later and have their absences excused. Um, While not everyone will do this, Taylor still sees the change impacting shoulder seasons. The deals that used to exist are simply not as extreme because demand isn't as low during these periods as it once was. And the boundary between high and shoulder season is disappearing because of the demand. It's just the way the economics work. The article says deals still exist, but scoring one will likely require a client to be flexible about their destination and travel dates, which is always the case, right? Mm -hmm. Taylor said, if budget is a huge thing, I do suggest clients look at shoulder season. If they can travel during the week, that helps too, because departing over the weekend will be more expensive any time of year, as plenty of people travel just for a long weekend. She points clients to Cancun as a prime value option during shoulder seasons. Rates in the Mexico resort town are consistently higher during spring break, summer, and the winter holiday season. But at visit in February and room rates at an all-inclusive may be as low as $250 per night. Or think a little outside the box in terms of where to go. She had clients who loved White Stallion Ranch in Arizona for a recent family vacation. The wild card, though, is airfare as flight prices have been inflated for a while. And probably keep, still will be saying, like, Even in a, like my agency's private Facebook group, we're just in there venting, right? Like, what are these flight prices going to come down? And my answer is always when people stop paying it and they're not. They're going to, yeah. you know, they're, as long as people are willing to pay it, they have no reason And of course, that's, I don't wish that by any means, but like, Mm -hmm. again, supply and demand is the bottom line. Yeah, for sure. And um, even in looking at next year, usually with this good of a lead time, I used to see uh, airfare that doesn't make me gag, but not this time around. I was telling you earlier, I mean, Greece in May, um, $2,200 $2,200 on my preferred airline with Delta. I mean, insane. For insane. economy. For economy. Yeah. So there's nothing we can do. Just, I just have to remind myself there's nothing we can do. The price it is, is what it is. I didn't set it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
one of the advisors interviewed in this article said, I think the biggest challenge we face as travel advisors during shoulder season is the fact that clients wait until the very last minute to book their vacation. In the past, we were able to book some amazing trips a week in advance. That is no more. Resorts and nonstop flights are selling out faster than Taylor Swift concert tickets. By waiting to book, clients are hurting their own wallets. Yeah. And airfare, last minute airfare, don't even like... It's not, I mean, that's more than what you're spending on your actual land portion of your stay. <laughs> they mentioned that um, fall foliage travel breaks the rules. So September, October, November are typical shoulder season months, but clients on a mission to see fall foliage are unlikely to find lower prices. No surprise there when the gorgeous golden auburn leaves draw a crowd, rates in the destination go up. Uh, Taylor also sees clients looking to visit places like Stowe, Great Smoky Mountains, um, Asheville, and uh, Hotel de Gloss in Quebec City, Canada's seasonal ice hotel. Um, and Taylor says that clients are sometimes willing to pay a high nightly rate for the only ice hotel in North America. Otherwise, a trip to Finland or Norway is likely in order. So it's like you save on the airfare to go to Finland or Norway by heading up to Canada. So I guess it's like a balance. You can offer your clients different options for ways to compromise and potentially save on something. <laughs> the rules are there are no rules. Yeah. We can only <laughs> laugh at this point about things. It is what it yep. is. Yep. Last on our list is an article from Travel Age West what to know about the upcoming holiday travel season. If you haven't booked yet, it's too late. Um, no, that's not what the article says. Um, accounting consulting firm PwC's annual holiday outlook indicates that 47% of consumers are planning to travel this holiday season. Most, 68%, of respondents report that they are very or extremely concerned over the rising costs of travel, with trip spending set to rise to an average of $510 per person. The figure represents a 12% increase over 2022 spend and notably a 37% increase from 2019 spend. If you break it down by generation, millennials are leading this spending change, averaging $670 per person compared to $611 for Gen X, $447 for Gen Z, and $314 for boomers. Did everybody hear that? Millennials are the ones spending the most money? Yeah, millennials. Well, during a supplier presentation, one of our BDMs last week said, millennials are spending this much money because we cannot afford to buy homes. So instead of saving for a down payment, we are going on vacation. <laughs> well, my point being, don't overlook millennials. Yeah, as absolutely a, not. A millennials will target spend money. marketing group. Yes. Yes. We will spend money. Like my, my thought process is I can always make more money. So that's just right. to show you. <laughs> When it comes to destination choice, the report found that just 18% of consumers will travel outside the U.S., including to Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean, Western Europe, Canada, South America, Central East Asia, and a much more substantial 59%, meanwhile, will travel within their state. Does driving from Tampa to Orlando count? As I suppose traveling because that's what I do. <laughs> uh, so the analysis uh, in this article it shows high demand looks or high demand for travel looks likely to continue next year. Yep, could have you know told you that too. 
Um, this summer's travel boom shows no sign of letting up. Travelers also appear to be undeterred by rising prices, at least for the time being. If these trends continue, 2024 may prove to be another very busy, booked up year for the travel industry. Whether clients are looking to travel for the upcoming holiday season or into the new year, travel advisors should be encouraging them to book as early as possible. And back when the whole pandemic stuff first started and they were doing, you know, just projections of when the travel industry would recover, 2024 was the year they said we would fully yep. recover. And back in 2020, that seems so far away, but it's just a couple of months ahead of schedule. A couple of months away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll end this one with some fast facts. According to PwC, millennials will travel the most this holiday season with 61% planning trips compared to 58% of Gen Z, 41% of Gen X, and 27% of boomers. Gen Z will increase its holiday travel spending by 23% compared to last year, Gen X by 17%, and millennials by 8%. Boomers are the only generation decreasing its spend down 22%. 61% of travelers are very or extremely concerned about rising hotel costs. And due to concern over high prices, 60% of consumers will redeem rewards to book travel for the season. I got to say, my boomers are not reducing their spend at all. I have some, some of my top clients that are in that age range are almost frantically booking insane bucket list trips over the next year or two because they're concerned about declining health, just like some other major event happening, whatever. But I'm booking like, you know, Antarctica, um, lots of like high-end luxury trips in suites, people who are just like, we're going for it. So lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> are we ready for excess baggage? Oh, Yeah. Okay, it's time for Excess Baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory, so you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Market Report, the U.S. State Department has issued new travel advisories for Americans scheduled for or looking to travel to Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza in light of attacks across the region this week. Another article from them states, we're still more than two years away from the first Four Seasons yacht vessel setting sail, but demand is already high enough that the company has decided to open on an invitation-only basis. Priority access to inaugural yacht voyages will start with loyal Four Seasons guests and high-level Four Seasons travel advisors. They will be serviced by a dedicated division of yacht consultants via by-appointment system. Travel Age West reports that U.S. travel predicts a $71 billion, or pre predicts $71 billion in economic losses due to air travel hassles. An article from Travel Weekly says that Pleasant Holidays and the luxury sister brand Journeys have partnered with Atlas Ocean Voyages to offer guest small ship expedition cruises. Another one from them says that advocacy groups say they united a United Airlines tool that will make it easier for customers to find flights on which their wheelchairs can be securely transported in the cargo hold is an important step toward making the flying process safer and less stressful for disabled travelers. According to Travel Agent Central, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has launched a global entry mobile app. The new app is currently available for trusted travelers enrolled in global entry to complete their arrival process instead of waiting in line to use a portal. 
They also report that ASTA has launched an expansion of its Travel Advisor Roadmap course with four new career pathway training modules intended to introduce those new to the industry to the various available career opportunities. The new pathway training is a part of the Trade Association's overall commitment to attracting new advisors to the industry. And our high note today is from Travel Pulse. According to new research from Forbes Advisor, the majority of Americans plan to travel again at least once before the year's end. And that's it for Excess Baggage. Just a reminder that all the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. Please remember that we didn't write the news, we're just sharing it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. Have any questions, comments, or just want to say hello? Please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at thetinlounge.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye.